Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, Yeah, glad we can gather on a Sunday morning. So I have a a couple things that I want to highlight to you, and I'm going to do that primarily through something we've shared about before, our QR code. So we're going to have that up on the screen for a minute. This QR code is a a resource for you to connect to some different things in the life of our church. So if you want to pull out your phone right now, you can screen grab that QR code. It's going to take you to our link tree, which has all kinds of different uh, links to different things. But I want to highlight two things in particular. The first one is our podcast. So uh, Cody and I often record every week um, a podcast where we're digging deeper into the sermon. So what you can do is you can listen to that. We try to do it on Monday, but it's a great primer for you if you're in a life group to talk through the questions that we write for your life group and all that stuff. Because we often will either walk through those questions or provide some material that talks about uh, the stuff that we're, we're digging into the sermon. And sometimes, you know, things that don't quite make it or, you know, maybe we don't spend enough time on in the sermon, we talk about that a little bit more detail in that podcast. So we encourage you, if you're not listening to the podcast, jump on that. And uh, hopefully that's a helpful resource for you, as, especially if you're in a life group and digging into those questions. We'd love just for you to take the sermon a bit deeper, not just let it be head knowledge one hour on a, on a Sunday morning, but actually see it um, planted deep in, in your hearts and in your life. So I want to highlight that thing for you, the, the podcast. Be, be listening to that. The other thing is um, on there, you can find our sermon notes. So there's a link to that um, that you can grab right now. And if you want to follow along digitally with the outline, the things that we're talking about today, you can take notes in there and you can actually email yourself once you're done um, those notes that you've taken. So we just highlight that as another resource for you. If you want to use that um, to follow along today, you're welcome to do so. So we just want to put that before you. Hopefully both of those things are helpful and, and we encourage you um, to use those as, as helpful. All right, well, now we do want to turn our attention to God's word. And so would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the gift of your scriptures. God, that we are able to come around them together with one another. And we get to hear from you. God, I pray that you would be the one speaking today. Would this not be be me? Would it not even be our words? Like, would it be yours? God, I pray that um, you would speak right where we need you to, to be, Lord. And God, I pray that today we walk out with something helpful and we're changed because of it. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the scriptures and thank you for for sharing with us what you have for us today. God, we invite you to speak. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, today we're continuing and concluding our, our series called Pursue, where we are looking at these practices that help us pursue Jesus. And so, so far what we've covered is uh, we've looked at the scriptures, Bible reading. What does it look like for us to commit to that practice on a regular basis of reading the Bible? And then we talked about worship. What does it look like for us to worship in all of our lives? And not just when we gather and sing on Sunday morning. That's a part of worship. But worship is so much bigger, and it's actually a lifestyle that we live out where we are, are dedicated and committed to the Lord. And so Cody gave a great message on that one. And then last week we talked about prayer. 
the regular practice of communicating with God and why we do all of those things. Well, today we come to the final one, community. Now you might hear that, like you hear the first three, it's like, okay, I can kind of get that. But like community, oh, is, is that a practice that we're supposed to do? And, and yes, is the answer. Obviously, we wouldn't be talking about it. But we believe that this is one of those practices that helps us best go after Jesus. So as I've grown up in my faith, um, from the moment that I actually received Christ, I got connected to um, some other people who were friends of mine, but we started to share life in a different kind of way. I was a part of our youth group with them and, and, and grew a lot. And I've had regular patterns, regular presence of community intentional community. Even in the last handful of years, uh, even being a pastor, I'm always in some kind of life group or or community. And I've found that being in a small group or having an intentional kind of community around me has been some of the most formative kinds of things that I could do. See, what I've noticed is that even as a leader, if I'm a leader of this group, like I'm still learning as much, if not more, than the rest of the group. So like I found that this idea of of being in a group, a small group, having community around me has been some of the most helpful for me to grow in my faith. And I think, I think this is intentional. I think God wants us to be in community. Just real quick, like 30 seconds. God himself, he is Trinity. Maybe you've heard that word, maybe you haven't. But what we mean by that is he is three persons in one God. And it's a mystery. So if you're like, how does that even work? We're still trying to figure that out. But at its essence, what it's telling us is God is community. He is three persons. And he actually designed us as human beings to reflect that. Male and female, he created us. He looked at at Adam. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he made us to be in community We are meant to be in relationships. Like this is part of our design. And I think we can probably all get there pretty quick. Like, yeah, I I appreciate community. I want to have community in my life. But we live in a time where we're among the loneliest of cultures. I recently caught wind of an article. We were talking about it in preaching team. um, Of there's a, a, a set of counties. I think it's a few counties that are primarily like the Silicon Valley in California, and they have declared loneliness to be a public health emergency. Not just like you know disease, COVID, or, or smallpox, or malaria, any of those kinds of things. Like public health crisis, loneliness has made the list. And we live in a time where we are more connected than we have ever been. Our cell phones, social media, like the tools we have to be connected to people has never been greater. And yet, we are living at its loneliest. And and I think we, as human beings, were created for community, but we found that we don't always get it. I mean, you look at some people who are, it's like, you know, I'm not so sure, I'm very guarded, like, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful to let people, and that's not always bad, but we might swing on that end of the spectrum where it's like, man, I, I'm, I, I just, I'm on guard. I don't, I don't want to open up my life because what if? And they'll fill in the, the gaps. Or then you've got the other end of the spectrum, especially like social media, Facebook, like we post all these pictures or or videos and it's like, hey, look at my life, isn't it great? And you get all these likes and comments and you feel kind of good about yourself. 
But both of these are fake. When you think about this one, it's like we're, we're showing, like, here's my life and letting people in, but it's only a partial version, right? It's what we want people to see because we don't want them to see the real thing. And, and on this end, it's like we just don't want them to see the real thing, so we're very guarded and we just keep it shallow. Like, this, this is not community. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. Jesus has something more in mind. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what is it that Jesus wants us to have when it comes to community. Because I don't think he wants us to have the shallow version. I don't think he wants us to have the fake version. I don't think he wants us to have this emptiness when it comes to community. The church... His church is meant to be the redemption of community. It's meant to fill this void, to fill this gap, to, to repair this brokenness that might exist when it comes to community. That's what the church is to be. So the question I want us to wrestle with today is what kind of community are we to go after? A new life we want to capture that primarily, and we've talked about this before, we capture that via life groups. We want our life groups, our small groups, to be the place where we practice community. Well, what is the kind of community that we want to go after, that we want to cultivate? That's what we're going to look at today. So if you uh, want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at a, a, a text that might be familiar to you, especially if you've heard any teaching on community. We often go to this as pastors because it's, it's a great picture of what community is supposed to look like. So um, love to have you join me in, in Acts chapter 2. It's kind of, again, make fun of me here, but it's kind of here in this part of the Bible, right? Like this, this is where, so you got the four gospels and then you got the book of Acts in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read through the whole text and then we'll walk back through kind of a piece at a time. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this... This is a beautiful picture of what the early church was like. Now, just a little bit of context, and this is kind of key to, to see. Where this falls is after Jesus' resurrection, he spent some time with his disciples, and then he ascended. He left. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The Holy Spirit has come on them. They've been now out in the, the streets. They've been preaching and, and proclaiming the gospel to people and, and been able to do that in, in native tongues, and native languages, and here, this moment comes after Peter preaches a sermon. So all the people kind of gather together and he proclaims. And, and here's what happened after Peter is done preaching. So look at verse 41, just one verse ahead. 
Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this group of the 12 and then a handful more were, were this community, and then all of a sudden, boom, thousands more. That's what happens when the gospel is preached. Like people come to faith. And what comes out of that? It's a kind of community. The preaching of the gospel produces community. People are now brought together in Jesus' name. Now, what I want you to realize is something. If you think about the disciples, I don't know how well you, you remember all of them, but there's two of them that are kind of like on opposite ends of a spectrum. You've got Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. These two guys would have been enemies. They have very different approaches to life and to the country of Israel. Like, they would have not gotten along. And yet, here they are in community. And that's what happens. We see through the book of Acts, like, God is bringing a community together of people who are not like one another. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, wealthy and poor, like, enemies are being brought together in the community of God. How does that kind of thing happen? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of like our series, right? Like they're practicing some of the things that we're talking about, right? And why is that? I think if you were kind of to bundle all of these together and kind of label it under one heading, I think it's this. They were Jesus-centered. They were Jesus-centered. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were learning the scriptures. They were learning about Christ, the gospel. And the, the apostles were guiding them. They devoted themselves to prayer. Like they're praying together. They're pursuing the Lord together in that way. They're breaking bread. They're sharing fellowship. They're, they're sharing meals together. Like all of these things are happening with people who are unlike one another. And I think it's because they were Jesus-centered. They oriented everything to Jesus. Paul, he kind of picks up on this. And, and he gives us two images in the New Testament that help kind of craft or help us understand what this is all about. So the first one I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, if you want to turn, you can, but we're going to jump around a lot, so don't feel like you've got to follow along. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he uses the image of a body. With Jesus as the head and all of us together as his body. So verse 12, just as one body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so that as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The picture of a body, like many parts, many people coming together to form one body. Unity in diversity. That's not the only thing that, that Paul uses. In, in Galatians, he uses another image, family. So here, you see in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul talks about how we 
are sons and daughters. So because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So what that's saying is like we, we are, are all God's children. When we accept Christ, we become part of the family. And if he is our father, Christ is our older brother, we now are brothers and sisters. And you see that over and over again in the text. Paul refers to the church as brothers and sisters. We are a part of a family. Now, the reason I bring up these couple, especially with the family, if you think about a family, you don't really, in the ideal sense, get to choose your family, right? You're just born into whatever family, whether you'd want to or not, right? And you kind of look back, it's like, oh, yeah, my brother, like, ooh, boy, you know, I wouldn't chose it. But your family, and when family is at its best, when it's at its ideal, family is that expression that transcends friendship. It transcends those challenges that, like, you know, because you're family, you just, you endure things together, right? Family. Family is that thing that unites us beyond those challenges, beyond those kinds of things. Paul is taking that and saying, we are now a family. A zealot and a tax collector wouldn't necessarily choose to be together as friends, right? Right? But here, God is knitting them together as family. We are one body. We are a family. All of this is because we are bonded in Jesus. So if you come back to like the struggle with community, I think a lot of times the way we operate, right, is we're looking for friendship, right? We're, we're looking for people that we like to be around. So, hey, hey, you know, it's like, oh, we like to do this thing. Let's go do that together. And now I've got friends, But when that changes, does the community fall apart? So I'm a runner. I've shared that a number of times. I've been a part of a number of teams and running clubs. And like, there's something really unique that happens when you're on like an athletic team. Like you kind of have that shared purpose together. I think what we see is this is a great uniting kind of thing. But at some point, it changes. Like if I quit running, I stop running now. Like I don't have as much in common with those people. If we're trying to build community or relationships on interests, it's not going to endure. I was actually having a conversation with Shelly Turner. She's one of our uh, Kids Life volunteers, and she was in our volunteer service. And she shared how she had these, uh, this group of moms that she would regularly spend time with because their kids were in the same kinds of activities, particularly like football and band. And, and so there, there was a stretch of several years where every week they were always together. They go to games and they were spending the whole weekend together because like they were just, they were doing the stuff of life that their kids were doing. And then graduation happened. And the kids went all their own individual directions and suddenly these relationships just changed and they just don't see each other anymore. When we build our community based on interests, based on the kinds of things that we want to like build our lives around. Like when we do that, like eventually they're just going to fall apart. They're not going to endure. What does endure is Christ. 
Christ endures. Christ um, lasts. He, he's the thing that will progress and take us all the way through into eternal life. He endures. And when we build community on him, around him, then, then we're going to have a kind of relationship that we'll be able to withstand. So we want to be Jesus-centered. We want that to be true of our church family. We want to be oriented to him. We want to circle around him. We want to be focused on him. We want to be Jesus-centered. And we want that to be true for our life groups. We want that to be true for our small groups. When you meet together, you might be friends with one another. You might develop those kinds of relationships. That's great. But what holds you together is Jesus. He is the thing that brings people who are at opposite ends of the spectrum together. He is the one. He is the one that unites us in a meaningful and deep, rich way. So all throughout this message, I'm going to keep coming back to our life groups and and to say, like, here's what we want to be going after, because that is where we feel we're going to be able to cultivate this kind of community. So we want our life groups to be Jesus-centered. But even if you're not in a life group, here is like what you can do is you can be fully devoted to Jesus. We want to be fully devoted. And we can do that even when we're not in a formalized life group. But what's going to happen is when we're fully devoted, we're going to naturally have people start to come around us. And we shouldn't resist that. Sometimes we kind of want our faith to be private, right? It's me and Jesus. I, I don't need other people. Like, actually, I don't think that's true. The greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responded to that question, what's the greatest commandment? It was not one, but two that are inextricably linked. Like they belong together. To love God is to love other people. And if you don't have other people, we're not loving people. We're not living it out. So we've got to have a, a set of people that we are investing in or pouring into So be fully devoted to Jesus. Center everything around him. And when we do that, be living out love. So that's the first thing I want us to see and and to hear. Like our groups, we want to be Jesus-centered. The next couple of things are going to flow from that. And so what I want to do is I want to keep reading and we're going to highlight just some of these key ideas that we find in the text. So verses 44 and 45, we see the next thing. The believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is an incredible kind of act, right? We see some radical kinds of generosity. Well, Luke comes back to this very thing again, and he kind of expands on it a little bit more in chapter 4. So if you want to turn a page over to to two chapters, we'll look at uh, Acts chapter 4 real briefly. Verses 32 through 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that they had no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He becomes important later in the story. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Such radical generosity. Because the community was Jesus-centered, they now viewed life very differently. They saw that all that they owned, all that they had was not just theirs. It didn't belong to me, but it belongs to us. And and the way the text describes it, the, the grace of God, the work of God was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons. The kind of work God was doing was to change their minds and to see my stuff is not my own. They became others oriented. They became others oriented. And see, like when we become others oriented, we begin to think about other people. We start to see everything else in light of that differently. All my stuff, all the things that I have, it's not mine anymore. I want to meet the needs of those in my community. And so they sold their stuff. They gave it away. And they had no needy persons among them. What a beautiful picture of what community can be. See, Paul, he picks up on this and and he captures it in a slightly different way, but like helps us to see like this is what it's all about. So in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, we get Paul describing it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Like we now begin to see all that we have, all that we are, all that we do is benefiting the next person. We begin to think about their interests. Like what, what benefits them? And that's, that's my mindset. Now you might be wondering, it's like, okay, that sounds all really good. But like, what about me or my needs? Like, If I'm just constantly pouring out, constantly giving, I'm thinking about other people as more important. If a community is doing this in mutual reciprocity, they're doing this for each other, then your needs are being met as well. So it's not like, oh, just pour out and be empty, but rather let the community then fill you back up. And when we're doing that for each other, we're living in healthy and good, generous kinds of relationships. This, this is what the church is supposed to look like. We're to meet each other's needs. We're to come alongside each other and live out the love of Christ. And so when we do this, the kinds of things we see, generosity. We we, we actually see generosity coming out. Sure, we're giving to one another. But it doesn't just stop with material things, money or possessions. We give of ourselves. We care for one another. We support each other when the literal roof falls in or or the metaphorical one, right? When a group of people can come around you and stand with you and say, I'm here with you. Let me help. Let me care for you. This, this is what the community can look like. So it's not just generosity in a form of possessions and money. It's generosity with our time with our attention, with with all that we are and all that we have, we care for and support one another. 
That's the community that God wants to build. And all of this comes back to because we have received the love of Christ. He loves us. We are to love others from that place. The place where we are loved. That's what, what he's pushing us to. So that's the second one. We want to be others-oriented. We want to cultivate that kind of posture, that kind of spirit. The next one that I want to show you, in, in verse 46. Turn the page back. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now this one, I kind of want to uh, derive a, a principle or something that's going on here. So every day they continued to meet together. Now, if you, again, you remember what their life and, and, and all that they were, all that they did revolved around the temple. Like they, that was in Jerusalem, the center of life, religious practice, the center of their society. The temple was where it was all happening. And so the temple is a very important key place. And so the Christians, now coming with a new way of life, they leverage that and say, hey, where can we gather together? We're going to meet together in the temple courts. And they did that. What does it say? Daily. They're gathering together. They're spending time. They're opening up lives with one another. So they're doing that in the temple courts, but they're also doing that in homes. And so it says they met together in homes and they were eating together. Now, if you know your, your history, know the context a little bit, this will sound familiar, but eating back then was a sign of association. Like when you sat together at a table with someone, you're saying like, I'm, I'm associating with you, I'm aligning with you. And so there was a common practice, like you didn't eat with people that you didn't want to be associated with. There was a presence of power and, and position, so like, mm, don't associate with certain kinds of people, right? Because when Jesus shows up on the scene, He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. I mean, the Pharisees were up in arms about that. Why? Because it's association. When you eat with someone, you're saying like, hey, I'm, I'm associated with you. The Christians, the early church, they were eating together. They were associating. Remember, many of them came from different backgrounds, maybe even had hostility, and yet here they're coming together and they're eating. So I think what this is pointing us to is the practice of gathering and, and doing that kind of thing, but there's a principle underlying it. I think what we see is that people would open up their lives to one another. They'd open up their lives to one another. And how this, this happened was, was hospitality, sure. You imagine there's a few people, they own homes, and they could let people gather around their table, so they, they're literally opening their homes up, like, hey, come on in, sit at my table. There's hospitality. But I think it even goes beyond that, too. I don't think it was simply just, like, let me open up my home and be hospitable. I think what they were doing is they were opening up their lives. They, they began to share life together. And I think inevitably... This is going to lead to a kind of reality. So, Matthew chapter 26, we get an example of, I think, the kind of thing that we see with this openness. So, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, he's, he's left the upper room, he's about to be arrested, and he wants to go pray. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes his disciples with him, and, and then he goes a little further and brings the three with him, Peter, James, and John. So we pick up reading in verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee 
along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The reason I bring this up is I want you to see something about how Jesus is opening himself up. He is being vulnerable. He's at a moment where he's feeling it, like he's about to go to the cross. This is going to be the hardest thing he has to do. He's going to bear the weight of sin on his shoulders. He's sorrowful. And so what does he do? He shares that with some of his disciples. He opens up his heart, he opens up his life, and he is vulnerable. This is the practice that Jesus put in. It's like when he's at his most raw, what does he do? He opens up his life. We see this actually in another place, back to Paul in in the book of Corinthians. So we we see that this this, uh, community was a really challenging one for Paul. They had some some, uh, hostility and and some arguing and and things like that. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul in the midst of this says these words to the Corinthians. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. He's advocating for vulnerability. Be transparent, like open up your life. This, this is what it looks like for us to open up our lives, to be vulnerable, be transparent with one another. And the way we see that in the text and Acts was hospitality. They were opening up their homes. They were sharing life together. But I think what what Jesus is ultimately pointing us to and to land on is, is the kind of openness where we are able to share fully and freely. James tells us to confess your sins to one another. What a vulnerable act. We want this to be true of our life groups. We want this to be true of our church family. We want to be vulnerable, be real, and open up our lives, open up our hearts, and be the kind of people that share. That, that is the kind of practice that we want to build in. So we want to be like Jesus by being vulnerable. So the last one I want to highlight, look down at verses 43 and 47. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Then jump down to 47. So they've been eating together and they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, what I want you to see here is that there's something that's taking place in the community. If you look at verse 43, here they're they're performing signs and wonders. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? When he showed up on the earth, he he was performing miracles. He was healing people, casting out demons like these signs and wonders. The apostles, they kept doing that too. After Jesus left, after they received the spirit, they were doing the very thing that Jesus was doing. They were continuing on in that ministry. And then we see in verse 47 that there are now people who are continuing to come every day. 
And, and Jesus, he, as he was sharing the message of the kingdom, people would begin following. Now, there were times of controversy, and lots of people deserted him too. But we see that he is bringing people in because of the gospel. The apostles, they're continuing that ministry. So what I, what I want you to see is I think this idea that they're becoming like Jesus. They're doing what Jesus did. They're becoming like him in character. They're proclaiming his message. They're doing his works. They're becoming like Jesus. And this is actually what we're to be doing as a church. Paul captures this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He said that, that this, is, this is part of the goal. Like God, those he foreknew, God, he also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. To be like him, to be formed in his image so that he might become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then back to Jesus he says, like, when you're conformed to my image, you're going to do things like me. So John chapter 14, we see these words in verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We're to be like Jesus. We're to do the things that he did. So I think what we're, what we're to see is that we are to be carrying on his ministry. So much so that Paul, one more time back to Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says these words as he's trying to share the good news with people. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Like, he is now sharing the good news and he's meeting people where they are. This, this is what Jesus did. So I want to put all of this together to say that it's about growing. It's growing to become like Jesus. When we do that, when we're growing, when we're becoming more and more like him, we are now reinvesting back into the community, being shaped into the church that Jesus wants. We want this to be true of our life groups. We want to be focused on Christ. We want to be focused on growing to become like him. So kind of tying all of this together, here's the big idea. I want us to be pursuing Jesus through his kind of community. And as we've seen, hopefully today, these are the kinds of things that his community is marked by. We want to be Jesus-centered. We want to be others-oriented. We want to be vulnerable. We want to be focused on growth. When we do that, we will be undoing the kind of fake community that permeates our lives, permeates our culture. Sometimes we're resistant to be in community. So we hold back. We just kind of live at the shallow level. We don't want to go too deep because, you know, like, oh, that could get a little, a little scary, a little dicey. Like, what could happen if? And so we hold back. We don't quite open up. Or on the other extreme, we're, we're like, we're, we're free with expression. It's like, hey, I want to get all this, so I'm going to share a lot. But we're also sharing in a very kind of nuanced way. We'll share some things, but not others. And all that is just to kind of feel better. But like, what Jesus wants us to give is our full selves. Who we fully are. Because when we do that, 
in an environment where we're all centered on him. That is the kind of healthy relationships he wants for us. The kind of healthy community. When we're building on his foundation, that, that is where we will discover the kind of community that he wants to build. So, that is why we as a church do life groups. We want everybody to be a part of a group where we're doing these things together. We, we don't want to gather a bunch of people who kind of like each other or their friends or whatever. Like, that's good. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from that. But we want to go deeper than that. We want to build the kind of community that will endure past all the challenges of life, past things that are going to fade away, will endure into eternity. Because that's the kind of community that Jesus wants. He's kind of built. So, I'm glad to tell you, church family, we recently did kind of a push to get people in life groups, especially those who weren't. We have over 180 people in our groups, which is really awesome. We're really excited about that. Yeah. I know, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But our communities, like this, this is the kind of thing that we want to be about. And, and when you put all of our adults and then our kids, who, who in kids' life, they're part of small groups, and the same thing for our students. When you put all that together, we have a number of people who are in community. And so if you are one of those people, if you have a small group, a life group, or some kind of small community that you're a part of, re-up the ante and say, we're going to go after this. We want to be committed intentionally to these kinds of relationships. This is the community that we're going after. Now, if you're not in a life group, if you're hearing this today and you're like, I want to be a part of that, you can swing by the Connections desk today. We would love to know that you want to be a part of a group. Now, I will say we have filled up most of our groups. We might have a few spots. And so we will fill up whatever we have remaining. If you want to be a part of a group today and you're not a part of one, we want to help you the best that we can to get into one. But even if we don't have spots right now, we'd love to take your name down, put you on a list, and we want to begin forming more groups because we think it is that important to be a part of some kind of community where you can have healthy relationships. Now, if you're still like, I'm not so sure, that's okay. That's okay. We just want to stress to you, like when we do this, when we commit to this, when we go after it, we are going to discover the kinds of things God wants to do in our midst. Not just for you, but through you. To be in those kinds of relationships where we are mutually giving towards one another caring for and supporting one another, challenging each other to grow, to be like Jesus. That's what we want to be about. So, church family, up your commitment on this. If you're not a part of a group, we want to help you be a part of one. And if you already are awesome, set your eyes on this. Build the kind of community in your group that Jesus wants to build. This is how we can pursue him. Pursue Jesus through his kind of community. Would you join me in prayer?